Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We continue our study in the book of Psalms. Pastor Joel is preaching on Psalm 68, the song of the future. We're going to be in Psalm 68 today, but I actually want to start in Ephesians 4, and I want to work our way backwards this morning, and you'll see why. This is Ephesians is a letter Paul wrote to the church. Uh, to instruct them and reveal this great mystery that has now been disclosed through the ages to the church as like this gift going forward. And he wants to point them to the truth and how they're supposed to live and, and walk out this new, this new truth in, in the future uh, of what's going to happen with them. We find it in Ephesians 4, uh, and beginning in verse 1. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you, would you stand as I read this, Ephesians 4? We'll read 1 through uh, verse 8. Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's pretty sweet. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. We're going to stop right there. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, Paul here, quoting from Psalm 68, where we'll get to today, is looking at the church and speaking to, to them and saying, you have all the gifts and what you need for today and moving forward. Uh, he looks back and sees Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and how he ascended on high and gave gifts of the Spirit to, to enable the church to function as it, it should. Uh, and as he's writing this letter to the church, he could have gone, here's what's happening in the future, Here, here's what you need to look out for, but instead he turns their eyes back to Psalm 68, and he wants to show them God is faithful. Uh, let's pray. Lord, as we come to your uh, words this morning, as we uh, approach uh, the great psalmist and how he pointed to you, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and we could see, you'd open our ears and we'd hear, Lord, you'd soften our hearts so that we would know you and love you more, that we would leave here uh, more confident of our relationship uh, with you and in you, and that we could find ourselves in you when we come to Psalms. And uh, Lord, just thanks for the special morning we've had already. I pray that you would, just, you, you would come and you would open the scriptures to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You, you can go ahead and have a, a seat. 
Um, before we get to uh, Psalm 68 and look at our, our text, I want to set this message up by actually uh, sharing with you a, maybe a little bit different explanation of, of time, a perspective uh, of time. About this time last year, our Mexico team was coming back. Well, in a few weeks, they would have uh, come back. And it was a Sunday morning just like this, and I got word, a text message word, that uh, a couple of the students had lost their passports. Uh-huh. And my daughter was, was one of them. So uh, we're in Mexico, uh, they're in Guadalajara, Mexico, and my, my daughter, the other student, found his, and I get word back that uh, my daughter doesn't have a passport and is stuck in Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, so I don't know if you know how far away that is. It's 2,500 miles uh, away, and as a, as a dad, just about to even preach that morning, and there was nothing I can do. There was, I was so far away. My 15-year-old daughter, did I say that? So my 15-year-old daughter stuck in a foreign country, and, and, but it was kind of weird because there's really two ways we could have, we, there's two ways we could approach this, this time. Uh, and here, here's the first way. We could have looked uh, to face the future. We could have said, uh, looked for what was going to, to happen, which of course we didn't know what was going to, to happen. Uh, so we could have faced the future and let our minds uh, and our eyes wander to and fro from all the possibilities, uh, which happens sometimes when you face an unknown future. Uh, my 15-year-old daughter, who wouldn't be able to get home to the States for three to six months because that's how long passports take, would be stuck there, would miss the first semester of school, would have to find somewhere to live, would be all alone, or maybe that somebody stole her passport and was a criminal so that when she would go through the airport, they would grab her, throw her in a room, interrogate her, uh, <laughs> And then she wouldn't be able to get back because they would be holding her for conspiracy charges and, we, and our daughter would be stuck forever in Mexico. We could face the future because we couldn't see, we couldn't see it. Or we could face the, the, the past, knowing what we, what we knew, what we had experienced uh, before. And, and luckily for, for us, me and my wife, uh, Amy, have actually lost passports in a foreign country before. So, yeah. Wasn't your passport gone too? Okay, stop. What is, what is, at least, okay, I'll put first person, singular. I lost my passport in a foreign country. I thought it was two of us, but that'll be a lunchtime discussion. Uh, so luckily for me, I had experience of losing passports in a foreign country. We, when we went over to Slovenia, uh, we went there uh, as missionaries, and we uh, did an exploratory trip where we went uh, and met people and went all around, and we stayed with the Patties in Ljubljana, which they had a basement uh, room, and we stayed down there. When I woke up one morning, uh, my passport holder and little clip of money thing was outside, and I go out there, and I, and I open it up, and my passport is gone. Now, we were going to leave in like two or three days from there, and my passport was gone. And you can imagine, I, so I ask Amy, this is how I remember it, and maybe it'll be different after lunch today. You can come over and hear. But I remember, I go, Amy, what did you do with my passport? <laughs> right? That's your natural, did you, did you take it? Did you take my passport? And she goes, no. And then there was like $6 missing out of like 30. It was like a random number. And we're like, we couldn't, we looked everywhere for that passport. We actually called the police. The Slovene police came and fingerprinted the whole house. It was really uh, interesting. And then they determined that, oh, someone had broken in downstairs and stolen my my passport. But 
Do you know they have things set up for that? If you're in a different country and they steal your passport? We went to the embassy, they're like, oh yeah, this, this has happened before. We had to go get photos and I went back to the embassy. They gave us a temporary uh, passport uh, and so I was able to get home. I'm home, I'm, I'm at least in the, in the States. Uh, so through that experience, when I'm Sunday morning, when I hear the text, Abigail lost her passport in Slovenia. I, I could have gone, oh, the possibilities of the future. I don't know what's going to be. Let me let my mind just run all around what it could be. Or I could turn and look at the past and the experience that I had and know, I know there's things set up for this. I, I know God has not abandoned her. Uh, I know there's people there that care for her. Uh, and so in that experience of looking actually backwards to know how to look forward, I was experiencing something that many other cultures have and you specifically found in the Bible as well. Let me, let me explain. Uh, for us in, in the West, when we think of the future, we think of everything in front of us. This is the future, the unknown of what's coming. And when we think of uh, the past, we think of what's behind us. So we are walking into the future with the past uh, behind us. Only in the Bible, uh, when you're thinking about uh, what's behind you, it's the things that you don't know, you can't see. And the things that you do know, you can see or you can experience, are the things that are actually in front of you. Uh, so in the Bible, your, your, your future is behind you and your past is in front of you. Now, I know it's a little trippy, but it's the things behind you that you can't see, you can't, you've never experienced, you don't know what's going to happen, that's behind you and what's in front of you is your past, what you've experienced and what you know. So you can think of it like this, like have you ever seen a, a, a rower of a boat, someone who's in, in the rowboat? They're actually going backwards into the, the future. Uh, as, you, as you reach back, it propels you, it propels you forward. So it's walking backwards into the future. And so as, as Paul, as we come to Psalm 20, 68 today, uh, Paul would encourage all of us in Psalm 68 to row backward into the future. Row backwards into the future. Look to, to how God has been faithful to you, how he has moved and worked in the past to determine how uh, you're going to lean into the future. Paul looks backwards for this church, for us, and says, I want you to get your eyes to, to your past and not your future, and look to how God has worked. And so he, he looks back, and even in the book of Ephesians, looks back at Psalm 68 and says, this is how you're to live. Uh, so I'd like to read it. It's a little bit longer uh, psalm, but I'd like to just point out, just because of time, I want to point out four mountains as we go through uh, Psalm 68. As we look back on the history of how God has worked, he, uh, the psalmist is going to point out four, four mountains and how those uh, all relate. It's, it's like looking out of the landscape and seeing uh, four times in history. Like even this morning for Will and Maddie is going to be one of those mountains where you're like, I remember doing this and proclaiming and giving uh, Lena Jean in front of the, the church. So Psalm 68, uh, as we come to Psalm 68, we, don't, we won't have time for it, but almost every line is a hyperlink to some other story in the Bible. It's just this one long uh, quote or allusion to the whole history uh, of the Jewish people. Uh, you can look up um, all the cross-references, and if you want to take a whole bunch of time, you can just go through it and see where it's pointing and connecting to everywhere else uh, in the Bible. Psalm 68. The writer's looking back on how God has led them in the past to instruct their moving forward to the future. So if you have a Bible, let's open to Psalm 68. 
I'm going to make a few comments as we read through it. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then I'll, I'll, we'll look to those four mountains. Psalm 68, uh, to the choir master. Uh, this is a long history of interpretations of choir master and what that word is. We, we put it in terms of musical, so that's why we say choir master. But this word choir master is actually, it could be translated uh, to the glorious, victorious one who endures to the end. To the one who endures to the end. To the leader, the conqueror, the victor. And set in musical tones to the choir master. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. Now, I'm just going to mention a few of these, but there's like uh, references to each one of these. You can find that exact quote in Numbers 10.35. As smoke is driven away, verse 2, so you shall drive them away. And that's found in Isaiah 9.18, Hosea 13.3, Micah 1.4. I'm not going to do this for every verse, don't worry. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God, and they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the desert. Referring back to how God rescued Israel from Egypt and slavery and went through the desert, the wilderness in Deuteronomy 33. It's almost this exact same quote. His name is Yahweh, the Lord, exalt before him, father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. Another quote from Deuteronomy 10 is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary or the lonely in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell on a parched land. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found its a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are, are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. This is an allusion to Deuteronomy 33 and how God gave the law accompanied with ten thousand of angels. Verse 18, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears us up, or daily carries us. God is our salvation, Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs deliverances, plural, from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, 
the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your possession is seen, O God. Or your procession is seen, O God. Your procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you, who are of Israel's fountain. There's Benjamin, and the least, the least of them, and the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herds of bulls that, and with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the people who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Amen? amen. And amen. What a beautiful psalm. We could spend... Uh, probably a whole lifetime here, just unpacking all the poetry and allusions and, and links to everything. But just because of time, uh, I want us to just look at four mountaintops. As, as the psalmist gives us, these are the instructions for how we're supposed to move into the future uh, backwards, looking back to how God has worked. Uh, here's the first mountain, if you're taking notes. The first mountain that we come across is Mount Sinai in verse 8. It's the mountain of God's grace and truth, mountain of God's grace and truth. Uh, in verse 8, it says, The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. This is the story. It's probably the most well-known story that we'll find in this psalm. It, it's the story of God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, they're slaves for 400 years. They cry out to the Lord to rescue them. They're being uh, just oppressed and beat down and killed. And they're like, Lord, just rescue us. So they send forth Moses, the, the redeemer of the people. They go through, um, uh, through all the ten plagues. And the final plague is the Passover lamb. Uh, through the Passover lamb, they're let free. They go through the waters of the Red Sea to the mountain. And there at the mountain, uh, God says, you're going to be my chosen people, my, my whole, this holy nation, a kingdom of priests in all the world. Uh, and so there at the mountain, they they're actually stay at that mountain for a whole year. And God there gives them water from a rock. He gives them bread every morning to eat, uh, a quail to, to come and feed them. Uh, he's providing for them in such a gentle way. He's taken who were slaves and brought them to be his people that he really cared about and saw. But at the same time, on that mountain, he speaks his words of truth. And those words of, of truth uh, are displaying God's holiness and the reverence. And so the, the very fact that that truth is coming, coming down on them, they respond and go, man, how can we ever ascend this mountain? 
there's just no, there's just no way. And so they quaked with fear and said, no, uh, have Moses go up. We don't want to do it. And so even in that, even among the rebellious that say, no, we don't want to be uh, a part of this. We can't handle this. Uh, God set up the priests, the, the Levites, so that they could bring offerings to the Lord, that they, they could make a way that God could dwell with his people. The first mountain that we encounter in Psalm 68 is this mountain of God's grace and truth. And, and how, do you, how do you balance those? How, how, do you, how do you be both full of grace and full of truth? How do you experience uh, both of those? And, and the people at that time in Mount Sinai failed to ascend the mountain. They failed to, to understand and to grasp all that. Well, with that mountain in the, in the background, we move on to the next mountain in the horizon. Uh, this is found in verse 14. It's Mount Zalman, Mount Zalman. It's the mountain of God's justice. In verse 14, it says, When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. And we're all like, what? Was that in Lord of the Rings? Let Zalman? Sounds like it, right? I mean, it sh should be. This is probably one of the less known mountains, I would say, uh, in Psalm uh, 68. It's only uh, found one other time in the Bible, or referenced one other time in the Bible, and that's in Judges 9 this Mount Zalman. But I think for many Jews, when they heard Mount Zalman and snow falling there, it would have meant something to them. It would have meant something very deep to them. Uh, if you would read Judges 9, uh, it's a very, a whole, the whole book of Judges is pretty, pretty dark. Uh, but this story is really dark too. Uh, and it involves right at the center is Mount Zalman. So Abimelech is one of Gideon's sons. So there was a judge named Gideon. He had all these, well, half-sons uh, from all these people, and, and Abimelech is one of them, and Abimelech's like, you know what, I want to be the next ruler, I want to be the next king, the judge, I want to be the next thing. The only problem was, is that he had 70 half-brothers in front of him in line. Uh, and so what he does is like most politicians do today, they, they start campaigning on the trail, wouldn't it be great if I was the ruler, because I'm like you guys, you, I'm of the people, let's do it, and he rallies everyone up, so he gets this tribe of of like thugs together, and they gather the 70 brothers and they kill them all on one stone. Think of the bloody day that is, and he, he becomes the leader. Well, there's one, there's the youngest brother who actually escapes uh, from there. And from that point, uh, Abimelech is like the king of all these little tribes around here, but all of them are like, These not a nice, this is not a nice guy. And so they rebel against him, and they're actually trying to assassinate him. So they set up ambushes to try and get him, but that never works. And so there's these, these tribes that are outside that are trying to kill Abimelech. And Abimelech takes this thug group of people and goes and attacks uh, one of the neighboring cities. And as he's attacking the city, the first place he stops is Mount Zalman. And there, he, he cuts down a bunch of trees, puts it on his back, and says, hey, everybody, do the same thing. So they march into this city. Uh, this little tiny city. It's a little tribe area. They march to this place where there's a stronghold, and all the people are inside this stronghold as, as uh, Abimelech and his thugs come in. And as they come in, he unloads the wood of Zalman right by this stronghold, sets it on fire, and burns everyone in the place, men and women. Well, that's rough. Uh, the other neighboring cities and little tribes, they hear about it, and they, they're rebelling against Abimelech too, and, and so they set more ambushes. I mean, it's just back and, and forth. It's like the revenge just won't stop. Like the blood just keeps piling up in this area. Uh, and then uh, Abimelech, he wants to 
quench the, the, another tribe that's just on the other side of another neighboring city. And so he does the same thing. He goes there, and there's this tower there, and there's a whole bunch of people inside this tower. And he's unloading wood to burn this tower when, when a woman, a certain woman, it says, on this tower throws a millstone over and cracks him in the head. So he's mortally wounded. And he, and he tells uh, the servant who is with him, hey, Bring your sword over here and run me through so that it won't be said that a woman killed me. <laughs> you read about it in Judges 9. And, and so sure enough, the guy, the guy stabs him, and, and that's the story of Mount Zalman. It's, <laughs> it's, this, it's this idea of this revenge upon revenge upon revenge, and when is justice ever going to be satisfied? When will it ever be at, at peace? And we see in the psalm, uh, this mountain is where God's going to scatter all the kings and he's going to send snow there. Snow that we know, like, slows things down. It purifies things, makes things white. What was, could be like a, uh, this dark area has now been purified from God's justice. Only, only he can put peace to the vengeance of man. Only God's justice can actually satisfy the vengeance and the evil of man. The mountain of God's justice. Here's the third mountain, the mountain of God's provision. Mount Bashan. This is in verse 15. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan. O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan. So we know one thing. It has many peaks. Well, Bashan is actually known, and it's referenced uh, several other places in the Bible. It's known as this most fertile area uh, in Israel. It's actually the breadbasket for Rome. They, like, they, they can grow anything uh, there. And, and, and with all this grain and everything, they have all these like bulls. The bulls of Bashan are really well known. Do you remember the quotes from that in Psalm 22? Uh, the bulls are really well known. The, the livestock's really well known. This is, a, this is a place that's like, it's high above everything, and you look up and you like, anything you'd ever want is right there. It's rich. It's comfortable. You have food in abundance. Everything you want. It's, God's, it's really a mountain of God's provision. Uh, you also get a story of how they beated the, the king of Og there uh, when they marched into uh, the promised land. And, and so this mountain is also a mountain of victory for, for Israel. It's a mountain of provision. It's a mountain of you have everything you need. Even the name, oh, many peaked. It's like, they didn't, it's like they don't even have one peak. It's like many peaks. This provision is just like overflowing from Bashan. But, but this mountain, Bashan, which God's provision, it, it actually looks on a fourth mountain with, with jealousy and hatred. It has, there's another mountain that provides something that Bashan can't provide. There's a mountain that would ultimately satisfy. Let's look at our fourth, fourth mountain, the last mountain today, the mountain of God's salvation. This is Mount Zion. We see it in verse 16, the mountain of God's salvation. Bashan, uh, he's talking to this mountain, Bashan. He says, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mountain that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. Well, God's abode, the mountain where he dwells forever, if you read the Bible story, you know, and even in Psalm 68, references it's Jerusalem, it's his temple, it's his tabernacle. So, so Mount Zion it is looked on with, with hatred and jealousy from, from Mount Bashan. 
Because I think this mountain Bashan realizes that, that one day the grass is going to wither, the animals are going to f- die, the riches are going to be gone, and yet, yet there's still this longing for satisfaction that even Mount Bashan, of the, all these provisions that God gives you, is ultimately satisfied in another mountain. Look in verse 17. It says, The chariots of God are, are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands, and the Lord is with them. And now we jump to the other mountain, Sinai. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. The the sanctuary, the dwelling place where God will dwell forever on that mountain. All of a sudden we have Mount Sinai is in that sanctuary. It's as if the sanctuary is big enough that all these mountains are like walking, but they're not walking to it. But like all these mountains are withheld and capsuled in the sanctuary where God would abide. The mountain of God's grace and truth ultimately poured out upon humanity is, is now in the sanctuary where God will dwell on Mount Zion. It's satisfied. The sanctuary on Mount Zion, the temple of the Lord, uh, it really looks back on Mount Sinai uh, and how God's original intent and what he wanted, this grace and truth, the same thing to make them a people, uh, a, a holy like possession of his, a kingdom of, of priests. Uh, that mountain, Mount Sinai, didn't grow legs and move over there, but it's really looking back and seeing how uh, that mountain and the story of that mountain now sets in and builds the foundation uh, for the future going forward. How do you approach God's grace and truth? Well, Paul in Ephesians would turn our eyes to God's faithfulness and holiness as we move forward. It says, when God ascended on high, he satisfied God's grace and truth and justice He gave all the provisions that we would need. He cared for the weak and the fatherless and the widow. And yet at the same time, he didn't compromise his holiness. So those who reject the Lord, he's going to repay with holy judgment. So we look to the Lord, to God's faithfulness and character then of how we are to move forward in the future. For those who who love God, at the very beginning, we say we can rejoice, we can be jubilant, even if we face challenges in our way because we know what happened in our past. We know how God has expressed himself to the people long ago and to us as well. So with your eyes fixed on God's faithfulness in the past, it's almost like the psalmist is going, now brothers and sisters, I urge you to walk in this manner with the calling to which you have been called, with your eyes firmly fixed on how God has dealt with your ancestors and with you in the past. Row backwards into the future. When we face the unknowns, when this week we get something where like, how's this going to play out? The psalmist would encourage us, turn your eyes to what you know and have experienced. Know that God is good, he is just, he's full of grace and truth. Will and Maddie, uh, well, all parents, really, when you face each day with challenges uh, that test you and try you, go forward looking back on God's faithfulness to you. The gift he has given you, he will not abandon you tomorrow. 
uh, seniors, you're going forward into the future and you don't know what that's going to be like. But I want to encourage you, with each passing day, remember how God has moved and worked on your behalf. He's not going to abandon you. Church, in a few minutes we'll even talk about this, but as we dream of the future, may our eyes be fixed on God's character revealed to us behind us or, or in front of us. As we look to see how God has worked and will continue to work in the future. And as we look to our past to inform our future, uh, it'll give us confidence and peace knowing that God, when he ascended Mount Zion and gave his life up for each one of us and was buried and resurrected and ascended on high as a conquering king, giving the spoils of his victory to his church, he swallowed up all those other stories and satisfied them. And that's why the writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12 and verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. He's talking about Mount Sinai. For they could not endure the order that was given them. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God and heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You are invited to that mountain today that swallows up all the other ones and satisfies God's holiness and justice, and provision, and he's inviting you to come today. Let's pray. Lord, we all sit here as a testimony to your faithfulness to us, that you, uh, through that one person or a family member or whatever, draw, drew us to yourself. And even if we're on that journey, we can look back and see, Lord, you have been faithful through the whole way. When we have been rebellious, when we have turned away, you have remained uh, steady and you've offered forgiveness and grace and truth. And so, Lord, as we move into the days ahead, we have no idea what that's going to be like, but we know how you've worked in the past. And, Lord, would we, would we hang on those? Would, would we come to that mountain as you daily carry us up that we would find our salvation and our rest in you? And that would give us peace and confidence to approach the throne of grace. That we could sing and make songs and be joyful even in challenges. And Lord, would you now receive the praise of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.